Hello, everyone. This is Martin Patella for Life Enthusiast Podcast. With me today, Spencer Feldman, the CEO at Remedy Link. And Spencer has an invention. Spencer has many inventions, and today, yet another one. I'm excited about it because it is timely and it's very important. Spencer Feldman, welcome to Life Enthusiast. Always a pleasure, Martin. Oh, absolutely. Mine too. So uh, let's give it a name, shall we? Yes, I thought for this podcast, we would discuss what people can do if sometime in the last three years, they made a choice that they are now suffering from. Mm. Oh, safe and effective? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, if you have done something safe and effective recently, and you're wondering if that was a good idea, uh, I think it wasn't. And... uh, the statistics show that, well, depending which of the batches you got and depending on what your status of your immune system is, you may have results that ranging from mild to terminal. Anyway, there's a product coming out, out of Remedy Link and it has a name. What is the name? Well, it's actually a protocol. There's two products and we can we can get to the products, you know, uh, towards the end. I want to focus, um, if that's all right with you, uh, the first begin, uh, part of the podcast on what the problems are that people might have, uh, might have be experiencing and the way in which I came about the protocols that I'm going to share. So I want to take them on the journey of discovery that I went through. That actually makes sense. We have been experiencing this thing called, that's known as uh, sharing of genetic material. I don't even want to use the word that's commonly used, but it sounds a lot like sharing. And it's when you are exchanging things either via the sputum or the sweat or the urine or the other biological ways, you are sharing the genetic material. Mm. Anyway, that's that's my take on it. I have been affected by this by interacting with people who have done the safe and effective tricks. Yeah. Anyway, at the floor is yours, really. Take us on your journey. All right. So it's uh, now late 2023 at the time of this podcast, and uh, we have been seeing a lot of uh, health issues that we really haven't seen before. Uh, young people having heart attacks very aggressive cancers, chronic conditions in people that were previously very healthy. And some believe that this is due to the toxic protein uh, from either uh, infections or the safe and effective uh, choices that people have made. Now, researchers have found the toxic protein in the blood of people six months after a safe and effective intervention. So how can this be? Because the body's very good at breaking down proteins. Well, um, if the person had a, a viral reservoir in their body, they might be continually making the toxic proteins. That's one possibility. Uh, another possibility is the foreign genetic material is still active in their cells, and that's making toxic proteins. And the third is something that I believe I was one of the first people to put into the scientific space, which is that uh, endogenous uh, reverse transcriptase may have allowed safe and effective foreign genetic material to enter the DNA 
and now a person's been genetically modified. In all three cases, the toxic proteins have to be addressed as they're being continually manufactured. But I would say that I think it's most likely going to be the second of the, the number two of the three possibilities. And that is uh, foreign genetic material continually cranking out toxic proteins. I think that's the main way in which this is happening. Right. I actually would like to butt in here with what I understand is happening is that once this material is in, because it's artificially made, it doesn't have the typical off switch that other genetic material has. This thing is only forward, no reverse. And sort of. So in the first case, let's say that if a person has a chronic viral reservoir, well, mo a lot of the reservoirs, they're actually going to be in a dormant state uh, and they won't actually be generating toxic proteins until they become active. So if someone is one of the few people that actually doesn't have a functioning immune system to be able to knock out a chronic uh, virus, that will have to be addressed. I don't think it's the main player. And in terms of the reverse transcriptase, if foreign genetic material has gone into the DNA, remember DNA doesn't do anything on its own. It has to be activated. So uh, let's say it has been attached to something like uh, insulin gene or something like that. Then every time the body makes insulin, it makes a toxic protein along with it. But then it would have an off switch because the, the insulin has the off switch. So I'm not concerned with that so much because even though it would be being generated, it's only being generated when that particular gene is being activated, which can be quite often if it's a very uh, ubiquitous or highly utilized gene. Again, I think the main issue uh, is that the foreign genetic material simply doesn't break down. And uh, there is something, and indeed there is a problem with the off switch, but it's not at the genetic level, it's at the codon level. And I'm gonna explain that in a moment. But before we get into that deep science, let's first start talking about the toxic protein to begin with. First of all, among all the many things it does, it's neurotoxic and accumulates in the brain. So to have something that damages the brain and accumulates in the brain is, you know, a bad combination. Uh, and it's actually causing brains to physically shrink. We're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, Another thing that people are familiar with is that toxic, the toxic protein is among the most thrombo, uh, thrombogenic compound known to man. That means that it's really good at making blood clots, uh, thus the increase in heart attacks and strokes we've been seeing. Um, and heart attacks in eight-year-olds is not normal, regardless of how many uh, bus advertisements are paid for. Uh, around the world trying to gaslight people into saying that baby heart attacks are a normal and we've always had them. No, they're not. Um, okay, so when you take a look at the toxic protein, you the scientists have found uh, sequences, protein sequences from 20 different venomous snakes. And these include uh, fossil lipases, which dissolve motor nerve terminals and muscle membranes, and metalloproteinases, which cause hemorrhage, necrosis, and zinc deficiency. And as you know, from uh, the zinc deficiency is also plays a, a very important role in this particular viral infection. So adding in a metalloproteinase to a viral infection that itself can um, be knocked out uh, with zinc ionophores was a particularly dirty trick. So 20 different venomous snake venoms, uh, 15 from snails, and these are called conotoxins, which damage acetylcholine. That's again in the nerves and then takes you to the loss of taste and smell. And then one from starfish. Uh, 
So there are 36 different animal venoms that have been identified uh, uh, in the toxic protein signature. So it's like being bit by 20 poisonous snakes, 15 poisonous snails, and one poisonous starfish very lightly, but all day long, every day. No wonder people are feeling on edge and not feeling well. Uh, the toxic protein is also carcinogenic. It increases the odds of getting cancer. It reactivates cancers that were in remission, and it takes slow-growing cancers and makes them grow at vastly accelerate, accelerated rates. And this, these are known as turbo cancers. So this is when someone goes into the doctor with a, with a lump and and the, you know, the woman says, I, I've got a lump in the breast. And the doctor goes, wow, well, you know, you've been in remission for 20 years. Let me take a look at it. Wow, um, you're right. That's, that came on pretty quick. And then the woman's dead a month later, right? As opposed to having five years to work with it or so. Um, it, the toxic protein causes autoimmune diseases and allergies. And like I said before, it causes a literal shrinking of the brain. Uh, we now know that uh, these proteins, they may not pass a blood-brain barrier directly, but we now know that they enter the brain first through the bone marrow and then through the meninges. Now, Martin, I, it's, I, I think the, it's this brain damage uh, is why we're seeing so, many, so much violence and madness in the world today. Um, when people get brain injuries, one very common side effect is um, they become very irritable, very violent, and can, in some cases, go insane if the damage is bad enough. Uh, toxic proteins also trigger both new cases of Alzheimer's as well as amplify those cases that are already there. So just like you, uh, it causes turbo cancers, it's causing turbo Alzheimer's. Now, the Alzheimer's was a very, uh, it, it, was, it was a particular interest to me. I was trying to understand why that particular uh, condition could happen. And because I know from my research that Alzheimer's, uh, along with most neurologic conditions, is associated with prions or misfolded proteins. Uh, it turns out that there are, if you break down the toxic protein, there are at least seven suspected prions that are released as fragments. And it's these prions, these uh, protein, misfolded protein fragments, I believe are what is causing the uh, Alzheimer's and people that have made safe and effective choices. Um, now, the body is always breaking down uh, the toxic protein to a small degree with an enzyme called neutrophil elastase. So there's always a degree of simultaneously the clotting phenomena along with the brain damage and Alzheimer's phenomena from the fragments that are being created. Now, in terms of, uh, so clearly we want as a protocol to break down, uh, there's three things that we want to do, I'm thinking as a protocol. One, we want to break down the toxic protein. But two, uh, we want to break down the fragments or neutralize the fragments that are created from the toxic protein. And three, we want to try to go in at the foreign genetic material and neutralize that so it can't keep making more toxic proteins. So think of it, it's almost like you know, an enemy tank is coming on the battlefield and you have a, a shoulder-mounted anti-tank uh, weapon and you knock out the tank, but out jump seven soldiers with machine guns. You've knocked out the tank, but now you have another problem. You can't just stop there. So uh, no doubt you've heard of various ways to uh, break down the toxic protein. What are your favorite methods, Martin? I mean, we have the nanosoma, which uh, is definitely good at clearing the issues that we see using dark field blood analysis. Those um, 
structures that appear go away when a person is on nanosoma. The other thing we're hearing is that nicotine is really attractive to the uh, alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor, meaning that that one part, part that you were identifying as the conos nail toxins, that gets knocked out with having nicotine on board. Mm. And then, of course, EDTA works marvelously well on clearing a lot of stuff that mm. I'm aware of. So it seems that the, the most common thing I'm hearing is uh, natokinase. So that would be for blood clotting. Right, but also the the actually the specific uh, toxic proteins that are causing the clotting in the first place. So okay. natokinase is an enzyme made by the bacteria Bacillus subtilis, which is a soil uh, bacteria. And it's uh, being cultured and used in the Japanese fermented dish natto. And we you can buy natokinase as an enzyme and it uh, has shown to be able to break down toxic proteins. Uh, but that's not the only one. We also know that serapeptase, the enzyme that butterflies use to break out of their protein shell chrysalis will also work as well as lumbrokinase, which is found in earthworms and is a Chinese med uh, medicine supplement, and then pancreatin, which is the enzyme we make in our pancreas. What I would say is why, no, I wouldn't focus on one proteolytic enzyme. I would do all four, and with the hope that not only can we break down the toxic protein, but also possibly break down some of the fragments it, it breaks into, into finer and finer parts until they're no longer venomous for us. So that's one aspect of it. Uh, now, the second issue is there are going to be some prions now. It's unlikely we're going to be able to completely break down the toxic protein. Some prions are going to get released, and then the person is going to have had prions in them for as many years as since they made their safe and effective choice. So let me explain how this how this works with the, uh, the prions. Um, when amino, when proteins are made, they're made uh, from strings of amino acids that fold in four different phases. And then when they're done, usually the fat-soluble amino acids are on the inside of the protein molecule, and the water-soluble ones are on the outside. And because it's water-soluble, it allows this um, protein, whatever it's going to do, to move around in the cell and be transported about and eventually broken down when it's no longer needed or has started breaking down itself. A prion, also known as a misfolded protein, is one where the, the protein has broken or misfolded in such a way that a fat-soluble part is sticking outside, like a, a little spike. It's sticking outside of the uh, protein. And now that it's partially fat-soluble, it's very hard to get rid of it because it can stick inside the membranes and the lipids and the brain. And it also makes it a little bit more difficult for the body to break it down. So what we need to do to get rid of these prions that the toxic protein will break into is we need to make the toxic, uh, we need to make the prions fully water soluble again. And the only way that I know how to do that is with something called a cyclodextrin. Cyclo means ring, dextrin means sugar. So cyclodextrins, the ones I use are the alpha and beta cyclodextrins with five and six sugar sugar molecules in rings. And the inside of the cyclodextrin is fat soluble. The outside is water soluble. And so it's like a game of ring toss. The ring goes on to the spike on the prion. And now that is covered. And so it renders the entire 
protein, water soluble again. Now it can leave the cell without getting stuck inside the membranes and you drink some water and you can just urinate it out. So uh, that's, and then of course, cycloductions have other benefits that you and I have already spoken about before. And in terms of it being sugar, it's non-metabolic. So it's not gonna you know, uh, interfere with uh, your sugar metabolism in that manner. So if we don't, if we leave these prions in, because they are now um, have a fat soluble side because they're basically uh, almost kind of a kind of a polar aspect to them, they can assemble and start forming giant crystals in the brain. And the, well, that's what the, the amyloid plaque is in Alzheimer's. So uh, cyclodextrins, I think, you know, are also an important part of this protocol. Um, now uh, we, let's get back to what we can do about the cause uh, which is the foreign genetic material. When the body makes RNA, um, it's broken down in about two hours. It doesn't last long because you don't want the body to, to be constantly making proteins. The, the way this works is your DNA is a library system and it has all this information on how to make mostly proteins, right? And so when the epigenetically it gets a signal for uh, to make more protein, it says, hey, let's make some insulin or hey, uh, let's make this particular enzyme. Um, that respective part of the DNA opens up, the RNA is created, and now the RNA with that information is inside the cell, and something called a ribosome grabs on, and it grabs onto the RNA strand, and as it kind of passes it through, as it goes through, like pulling a needle through, a, a string through a needle, a thread through a needle, as it passes through, it's the ribosome gets the instructions on how to make that particular bit of protein, and uh, it gets extruded out as a string, which folds four times, it makes your proteins, gets to the end of the RNA where there is a stop codon, and then the ribosome lets go of the RNA, the protein moves off, and then that's that. And over time, the RNA itself is broken down when we no longer need that particular protein. That's what's supposed to happen. Okay. What has happened with the foreign genetic material from safe and effective choices is, it, they did something called pseudouridination, which is a alteration of a few key chemical bonds uh, in the genetic material. Now, what this did is several things. Number one, it made it very stable. Another way of saying stable is very difficult for the body to break down. It's become a forever chemical in the body, lack of a better term. Uh, so now, rather than making a particular toxic protein for two hours, it makes it nonstop. Uh, we have found uh, that the foreign genetic material, uh, which normally has a, a half-life of one to 18 minutes, so it's gone in two hours, they're finding it's still in people who have made safe and effective choices one month after the safe and effective choice. Um, well, what we really need to do is see studies because they one month was the last point. They're saying it's stable at one month. They didn't say it wasn't stable at two or three or six months or a year or forever. They didn't do those tests. So I'm hoping that whoever did the one month stabilization test for the foreign genetic material will do that now at the three-year point because it's 2023 and we have people who've made those choices. So I think it's possible that this genetic material never breaks down. And so it's constantly making uh, toxic proteins. Now, the other thing that the pseudouridination did is it made it, in addition to more stable or incredibly stable, uh, it made it very stealth. It made it very difficult for the immune system to even see it, to do anything to it, to break it down or sequester to do anything. A third thing that it did was it broke the stop codon. 
So when you were saying there's no off switch, this is the lack of the off switch that's actually the, the, the problem. The stop codon is gone. So when the ribosome um, starts going through, uh, when the um, when the RNA starts going through the ribosome and creating the toxic protein, and it gets to the stop code and it doesn't, it reads through it and goes to the end. But that's not the problem. It Worst case scenario, it would just keep, ribosomes would keep getting attached until the thing was just a big furry ribosome caterpillar and just that was the end of it. That would be great if that's what would happen because that would neutralize the, the uh, foreign genetic material. That's not what happens. What they did is something else. They took the um, foreign genetic material and instead of it being a string, they wrapped it into a circle. So now the ribosome grabs on and goes around the circle, tick, 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 making a protein. And it gets to where it would be a stop codon. Stop codon's broken, reads right through it, and then makes another copy and then another. So there's no way to turn it off. It's cycling like a broken record, continuously extruding out this toxic protein. Now, DNA is some six feet long in the cell. I don't expect the toxic, it's wrapped very tightly, which it allows how much um, material to be in there, but who's to say how long these, uh, extruded toxic proteins can get. We, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, if they get to be one or two feet long before the cell bursts and it gets into the circulation. So when we're seeing at autopsy and on, um, by embalmers, then pulling out these one and two foot long fibrous clots out of people's blood vessels, I think it's these extremely long thrombogenic toxic proteins that are flushing into the bloodstream. What we need to do is uh, we have to find a way to deal with the uh, foreign genetic material in the first place. And there's two options I can think of. One is we can try to break them down. The second is we can try to sequester them somewhere. So what are our options on dealing with this foreign genetic material? Well, there's two options I can think of. We can try to, we can try to break them down or we can try to sequester them somewhere in the body where they are no longer active. In terms of breaking them down, they are proteins. So we're back to proteolytic enzymes. Now, of the four that I mentioned, I don't know if the first three can do it because I haven't seen any data, but pancreatin has enzymes called pancreatic ribonucleases that absolutely can break down for our genetic material. So getting you're increasing the pancreatic enzyme level in the in the bloodstream is one way in which we might be able to break down foreign genetic material. Now, the other is storing them someplace. Now, the body does have a place to store toxic things. They're called the lysosomes. And what lysosomes do is they are both recycling centers and landfills. They recycle uh, old and broken proteins and things so that the amino acids can be reused. But they uh, also will store things they can't break down, things that are toxins. When, when the body says, hey, I don't want this in the cellular machinery, but I can't seem to break it down, the lysosome will grab onto it. But there's only so much room in a lysosome. And the more room that is spent as a landfill, the less it can recycle. So you really don't want to have your lysosomes filled up with as a landfill because it means you can't recycle. But it, it's better that than to have foreign genetic material making toxic proteins with 36 types of venom. So what we want to do is we want to break them down, break down the foreign genetic material as much as possible. And the way, and to the degree that we can't, we want to store it away in the lysosome. To do that, the lysosomes must have the room in the first place. That means we have to have them cleaned out. 
And a lot of people are walking around with lysosomes stuffed full of toxins. However, there are things we can do. So every bit of detox you do that helps clean out the lysosomes makes more room for the foreign genetic material of which there's only a certain amount, assuming you, you know, you, you stop making safe and effective choices and we can, we can sequester that all. Uh, um, the other thing I'd like to put a pin in that one. I think that this stuff has gone environmental. I think this is now reproducing. I think it's now in the air because it's aerosol aerosolized and it's passed from one person to another. So I think that uh, this is a gift that keeps on giving. I, I don't think there ever will be a safe space anymore. So foreign genetic material is extremely, um, even the stable parts, they get broken down by oxygen, they get broken down by ultraviolet. Um, and sure, we, we may end up having this from lots of different sources, but I think the main source is going to be the uh, I think if they could have done that, they wouldn't have needed to 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 have people push people into safe and effective choices. I think the fact that they tried to push the entire planet into safe and effective choices tells me that they don't quite have an ability to get significant okay. amounts done by so maybe the material that's transmitted as aerosol is nowhere near as effective as I, I think that there are other things that are being done that not to genetic. I don't believe genetic material is part of it. So in terms of cleaning out the lysosomes, so with any kind of detox it will work. Fasting is very helpful, but the very best thing you can do are actually cyclodextrins. I've seen um, cyclodextrins can get the lysosomes cleaned out in a way that even 10 and 14 day water fasts can't do. It's really good at flushing the lysosomes out. So, but, so here we are, the same thing we want to use to neutralize prions, we can also use to clean out the lysosomes so that the foreign genetic material can be isolated away from the ribosomes and locked up in the lysosomes where they won't be generating more, more toxic proteins. So as such, you know, here's the protocol someone can consider. All four of the enzymes we discussed, namely natokinase, uh, serapeptase, lumbrokinase, and pancreatin. Uh, however, it should be in a liposomal form because only three to 5% of enzymes are absorbed when taken orally if they're not liposomal. Uh, now, the fact that nanokinase has had such wonderful results taken orally shows you how powerful it is that even three to 5% will do something, but uh, we're not trying to get this in the digestive tract. We're trying to, to go to the bloodstream. So liposomal with an 80, 85% absorption is gonna be much more powerful. And then the second would be cyclodextrins and cyclodextrins normally are done by IV. Uh, I cracked the code on how to make cyclodectrins orally available, and that's available too. And should you want these, uh, the product with the four proteolytic enzymes in a liposomal form is called protolase, and the product with the cyclodextrins, both the alpha and the beta, uh, is called albidextrin. But when you're given two months to go because you have a pancreatic defect diagnosis, people who have made it through that and stayed alive were the ones who were taking very large doses of pancreatic enzymes. Mm -hmm. Sure. And of course, this, this illness that I'm trying to say no name of is the one that's essentially genetic defect. I think we're seeing a failure of natural medicine in modern days relative to how well it worked 50 years ago. It's not a failure, but it's not a failure in the side of natural medicine. I think that people are so toxic and so genetically compromised that the things that used to work don't work as well anymore. 
uh, I, um, and, you know, I love natural medicine and I love using natural supplements whenever possible. Someone might come and say, well, why are you suggesting uh, cyclodextrins? They're not really in the natural environment. You know, okay, yes, sure. A little bit comes in wine and bread from fermented starch, but you know, why are we doing these things? And the answer is, you know, fight fire with fire. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the environment we're in, the sophistication of the attacks on the human body and the amount of toxins and the destruction of the um, environment means that we really have to use science to fight science. So I think it's great to, to use as much natural uh, supplements as humanly possible. But I would say that um, some things that are uh, made in a lab, for instance, cyclodextrins, um, have a role to play because we, we just, you know, it's all hands on deck at this point. We need all the help we can get. As long as you, you maintain, you know, the, the, the first precept, which is first do no harm, then, you know, bring, bring everything you have to bear on this problem. Yeah. Yeah. We're long past that one. So uh, let's try and go a little practical. So the albidextrin, I remember that the uh, protocol that you've put forward says, well, you can start with about a tablespoon a day for a first while, but remember to take some uh, either phosphatidylcholine or lecithin three or four hours later because this thing goes after a lot of fat soluble material in your body and you need to rebuild the protection, right? Right. It's also very similar to the uh, same thing with the colophage, which was the recreation of the lipid exchange protocols of the Germans from 80 years ago. Um, you want to, if you're going to flush out the membranes, flush out the toxic fats, uh, or in this case, the, the prions, which you could say are toxic fats now, uh, then you also want to, you have to realize that you have to the, fill the holes that they took, the places that they were incorporated in. If they've been incorporated in your membranes, well, they're out, but something good has to go and take its place. Mm -hmm. Hence the phosphatidylcholine or yeah. lecithin. Yeah. That is the material from which the cell membrane is made. Preferably both, because while it's primarily phosphatidylcholine that you need, there are lots of other phospholipids that you won't find in a purified phosphatidylcholine supplement that you would find in lecithin. Okay, great. So or anyway, so I started by saying that, okay, uh, intense program, a tablespoon a day on an empty stomach, probably before breakfast, and then have some lecithin with lunch. Yeah, or even better, maybe lecithin with dinner. You know, because so you, you've got the most amount of time for the cyclodectrins to do their work and then leave before you put the uh, the nutrients back in. Uh, and then, of course, at the same time, I would probably be doing, uh, I don't know, um, two to four of the protolase, protolytic enzymes. I don't know yet because um, we haven't had uh, enough opportunity to come up with an exact numbers for people. Um, but with all things that are very powerful like this, um, start slow and find your tolerance and work your way up. Okay, so this is the opposite of what I then said. Start with half a teaspoon, then one teaspoon. I, I'm not as concerned with the with the cyclodextrins. Um, you know, uh, it's just the liposomal proteolytic enzymes could have a very powerful effect on some people. So I would ask that someone just take one the first time, see how they handle it. And then if that's all right, two, and then so forth and so on. Um, okay, so what I'm, do you think is a heavy dose for a 160 pound affair? 
Uh, I I would think that a person could go to four or six uh, at a at a at a serving, but again, um, slowly work your way up. Right? These are very very strong. Okay. Now your bottle being sixty capsules, mm. that you would be needing three bottles a month at that dose. Well, so the idea is we would want a, a loading phase where we're clearing out as much of the material that's been building up for as long as they've made their safe and effective choice, which could be up to three years. At a certain point in time, you know, the, the backlog of all this material hopefully has been resolved. And what's left is just the small amounts that are still getting made in the background um, that we just can't seem to get to. And then it might be something like, you know, one capsule a day, two capsules a day, depending on how they feel when they start and when they stop it. Okay, that that's straightforward. Again, the enzymes should be taken on an empty stomach because uh, they need to get passed through the stomach to the small intestine to be absorbed, right? Well, some liposomes, I think, actually make it through the stomach wall. But yes, it's best when taking liposomes. Um, and although the albidectin isn't a liposome, the way I've made it kind of functionally makes it a liposome without giving away too many technological secrets. So you could actually think of them both as liposomes. Uh, and so you, you would take them both on an empty stomach and wait half an hour for them to, you know, cross uh, through the intestines. Uh, you know, usually, you know, the stomach empties itself in 30 to 45 minutes um, if there's nothing, if it's mostly liquids. I was actually believing that 20 or 25 is enough, but all right. Well, straightforward. So uh, yeah, we painted a pretty grim picture here. And I hope not. I hope not. I hope. I hope that this well, uh, this, this a more, more, more case for uh, needing to do things. I mean, it's there. There are solutions, and this is definitely one of them, an important one. I I started on the um, albidextrin, and it's interesting how it affects me. It definitely is a um, change in my state of being. Hmm. It's, it's curious. Well, um, what, what, what are you noticing, Martin? Uh, it's affecting my thinking. Hmm. It's affecting my brain processing. It's affecting my appetite. It's hmm. just in a, in a positive way, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should be saying. <laughs> so, you know... There might be people listening to this saying, hey, I made one, two, three safe and effective choices, and I don't feel any worse for the wear. And uh, as Martin mentioned- Yeah, not all that just were made equal. Right, some of the effective, safe and effective choices may have been placebo. Um, but what I would say, you know, and this is what I would tell, you know, my own family and my own and friends, if you've made a safe and effective choice, um, while I pray that what you got was saline, Let's not assume it. The fact that you don't have any symptoms you're aware of now is wonderful. Having said that, blood clots and Alzheimer's, uh, microclots and blood and Alzheimer's aren't things that always have dramatic, immediate, life-threatening results. Sometimes they just slowly wreck the system. It's like pouring sugar into the gas tank. If you put a little bit in, you know the car won't won't stop, but you're gonna have trouble. So I wouldn't want people to say, well, since I'm not feeling anything now, well, let's not do anything. And then, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, they have Alzheimer's, right? Well, because uh, these things are uh, logarithmic or geometric, 
in how they behave. It's it's like if you could visualize a graph, it goes slowly, slowly, slowly. The slope isn't that bad. And then you hit the inflection and bang. And yeah. this is how they were describing. Well, how did you get broke? Well, slowly for a long time and then suddenly. And, and all of a sudden. Right. So do something now before architectural changes in the brain happen that are much more difficult to fix um you know sometimes the brain doesn't get fixed and what simply happens is other parts take over but that becomes harder as a person gets older so i meditate on it meditate if you know maybe this is something that might be something a gift you give your future self by taking care of this now and you know and, and the hope is that it does work and we don't know yet you know this is all just research yeah and of course here we are selling umbrellas on a sunny day right uh, or selling umbrellas on a day where it's raining and people just say, ah, it's just a little bit of rain. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> but, you know, rain's long enough and then the nighttime comes, you know, it's going to get cold and you're going to be wet. Yeah. 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 Like that. Okay. Well, so here we have it. The, we will have the product links in the show notes. It's Protilase. And it's albedextrin. And um, take a look, consider it. It's probably a worthy investment. Well, Martin, one day I look forward to us having a conversation that isn't about trying to, right? You know, just you and I just have a conversation. We're like, hey, it was nice weather today. Oh, yeah. And I heard some great music. On, uh, did you hear about this? There's this, this great symphony I want to share with you. And one, one day, Martin, one day. Mm -hmm. But for now, Spencer Feldman, Remedy Link, and Life Enthusiast. You can find us at life-enthusiast.com or by phone, 866-543-3388. Thank you.